You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host. And with me today is Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Mariano is from Scottsdale, Arizona. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician from Uniformed Services University in Bethesda, Maryland, the nation's only military medical school. If that were not enough, Dr. Mariano has also served as physician to the President of the United States and is a retired rear admiral in the U.S. Navy. Currently, she has a private concierge practice called the Center for Executive Medicine in Scottsdale, Arizona. How are you today, Dr. Mariano? I'm very well, thank you, Andrew. Excellent. So our listeners have been getting a glimpse to a world that many have probably wondered about, but few have actually got a chance to, to see. That is the world of medicine revolving around the President of the United States and, and the people within his or her family. I am very interested in delving into how you as the medical team leader dealt with emergencies that could happen on in air, which is the main topic of our program today, but also how those differed from emergencies that could happen on land and sea. And I guess to be more specific, how you trained your team to be prepared if, for example, the emergency was over the Atlantic Ocean versus over a hostile landmass or where you might be able to get to a hospital within maybe 20 minutes or, or eight hours versus a desolate area of the world where it might take two to three days to get to a, a tertiary care facility. How do you prepare your team for that sort of turmoil? Well, our, our main preparation was thinking in advance what all their possible scenarios could be. Most of the time at the White House Medical Unit, when we weren't traveling, we were exercising, going through scenarios tabletop exercises and actually training with Secret Service at Beltsville at their training station as to what scenarios to face. Fortunately, a lot of our physicians, White House physicians, are also flight surgeons, so they're very adept at uh, in-air emergencies. But I think the White House and the United States overall, compared to other countries, is more prepared because we have a medical compartment on board Air Force One. It has medical equipment to stabilize any type of victim and plans are already in effect to go to a level one trauma center. Obviously, if you're flying over the Pacific Ocean, it's going to be rather several hours before you get there. But with the equipment on board the plane, with the type of capability that's available there, with the type of trained crew in terms of the physician, a critical care nurse on board, the patient has every advantage possible to survive before they get to the next hospital. You've talked a little bit about what resources you've, you've stocked onto Air Force One. Are you flying with pints of cross and matched blood for the president? Blood is brought. I've been to so many summits that every time I go to a foreign summit, I look for my counterparts. And the United States of America is the only country that has a White House medical unit. We are actually the envy of the world. Several countries like the Israel, well, the Israelis will have a physician and a medic accompany them. The royal family will have a royal physician, actually royal Navy physician, accompany them when they go on a trip. But in terms of the number of people supporting their leader, the White House medical unit has the most and they're more trained for that, and we are actually the envy. But I remember being in South Africa, and it was we were visiting Mandela, President Mandela at the time, and I was placed in a vehicle with another physician, and he had his medical bag. And he looks over at me, we're in this vehicle, and I look at him, and our medical bags are between us, and he winks and he says, well, I'll tell you what's in my bag if you tell me what's in yours. <laughs> I'll and show then, you mine if you show me yours. Exactly. Right, I and gotcha. then I said, well, do you carry blood? He says, if they travel overseas, I said, he does. And mm-hmm. I said, yes, we do too. We do carry blood. And then our patient needs it. Have you ever been to a different country or a different culture where 
something has been suggested to you as the sort of visiting health professional in terms of management of a particular patient that you know is doesn't make the most medical sense, but from a cultural perspective, you've had to just go along with it? We don't jeopardize the present if that happens. If it's a country where there are their cultures are such that they believe in one type of practice. We, we pretty much bring our own. There'll be countries that will, I've had my medics look at their emergency room, which is non-existent, or they'll be, they'll be cooking rice in their, their OR. And I'd say, ooh, we really can't use that hospital. At which point we, we use our military resources. If it's the military hospital associated with the country, will make attempts to do it. The State Department has been wonderful because whenever we, we travel overseas, our first phone call is to the embassy in the given country. And there we liaison with the regional medical officer or the nurse practitioner who runs the unit there at the embassy. And then we, the question we ask is, well, where do you bring you know, your ambassador? Where do you bring your staff if they're sick? And if really the facilities aren't suitable, we bring, we bring an airplane. <laughs> We bring another aircraft that has that for us. Or we have a plan to evacuate him to a country. If it's within a few hours away, we plan to go there instead. Was your team available to help our visiting ambassadors and dignitaries who were not traveling necessarily with the president, but say they were in a foreign land and did not have the luxury of traveling with their own physician, was there a way for them to get in touch with with the White House staff or or someone back? Well, unfortunately not, because the medical unit staff are only there in preparation for the president. Although, if the hotel where they stay one or two weeks before the president arrives, they do take care of the White House staff. Most of them are military who are assigned to prepare for the president's visit, the men and women who are sent out to set up the communications, set up the security force, look at the food, look at the site, as well as the White House staff. So when my nurse or medic would go out ahead of time in a foreign country, not only do they go over the plan, look at the hospital, interact with the doctors who will be treating the president in the OR if that has to happen, looking at every site he visits, but they also at night at the hotel have their own little clinic or sick call where they take care of uh, any of the White House staff who become ill. You're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Andrew Kurkowski, and I'm speaking with Dr. Connie Mariano. We're discussing emergencies in the air. That's right, medical problems that can happen at 30,000 feet during air travel. Dr. Mariano, I would love to hear... If you could, give us a specific example of one of the more complex or most complex travel plans that you had to prepare for from a medical perspective in your, in your vast experience here. What was, what was one of the places that you went to that required the most forethought and preparation? Probably, as I look back, would be Africa. When President Clinton did his swing through Africa, I recall 1999, where he went to multiple countries and really there was, in many of the countries we visited, there was no suitable facility. And that's where we did deploy a, an Air Force 707 with a surgical team. And a lot of it was coordinating when the team arrived, where they would set up their equipment, making sure they had adequate rest because they traveled long distances, and sort of deciding, well, at what point would we bring them there? And just it was almost like coordinating a symphony, just at what point they, they would be unobtrusive, making sure they were on the ground, they had hotel rooms, they, had, they were fed, <laughs> everything was taken care of, and communications were had. And then once the president was done, they would fly off ahead of us to the next country in Africa and also be on post. So they would tag along or be ahead of us. we traveled to each country. They would be our hospital if we needed to, to take him somewhere. And where did that team come from? All over Europe. The aircraft was usually deployed from military bases in Europe. And then from there, they would bring uh, Air Force crew 
assigned temporarily to, to, to help us. So they would sort of leapfrog their way in front of you and set everything up. And they were all military personnel. You never had private physicians, or, or I should say. No, it was, uh, I think, in terms of security and in terms of the type of training that was available, it was a lot easier to use military personnel. They were trained to do that. Is there an opportunity for a physician or, or other healthcare professional, nurse, EMT, from the academic community or from the private community to, to get involved and volunteer to make themselves available if if there's a, an interest or is it sort of, well, you, you need to be in the military to, to have a... Usually, if, if that type of scenario it is, um, you have to be in the military. The, the, the civilian providers are usually at the hospitals in the U.S. For example, if the president were injured in Baltimore, we'd bring him in, let's say, Johns Hopkins. You know, that's where the civilian doctors would be involved. For, for example, trauma surgeons... For paramedics, in terms of transporting him within the U.S., the Secret Service has that capability. They, they pretty much handle that. But for someone to say, well, I'd like to spend time with the White House Medical Unit, you really can't do that, especially with the security issues. Sure, I would, I would have thought that that would have been prohibitive, but you never know. Maybe they're looking for a few good men or women <laughs> who are interested in that. You were the president's preventative personal physician. And did you ever have a problem or or interaction, I should say, with the person who had been taking care of the president prior to becoming elected president? Do you have to coordinate with that person, or is it sort of you're not allowed to see the president's records? You can request their records, and in fact, we did, and connect. In fact, when President Clinton came into office, I, I spoke with the physicians in Little Rock. In fact, his ENT physician, Dr. James Sun, at University of Arkansas, who became a very good friend of mine, we actually, whenever the president would have his annual exam, we would invite Dr. Sun to come to Bethesda, uh, give him temporary privileges at the time, and to participate in the president's annual exam. And so we did combine his physicians from Arkansas and include them. What is the protocol in terms of reporting medical problems with the president? Is, is there such a thing like HIPAA that applies to the uni- president of the United States, or is that... You know, you have to respect HIPAA, but you got to realize your patient has tremendous responsibilities. One of the challenges of my job is is honoring the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. In, in essence, that is the disability or the succession plan, and, our, and the 25th Amendment deals with the succession of the presidency in the event the president cannot carry out his duties for medical reasons, per se, in, in the case of a physician's part, I would have an obligation to report that so that the vice president would take temporarily the duties of the president if the president were to be incapacitated. And have you ever been felt pressured or been pressured to put your personal sort of beliefs behind your professional? Part of it is, as a military officer, you have to support and defend the Constitution. And I believe that if you practice medicine wisely and it's in the best interest of your patient, then that is not in any way conflicting with the 25th Amendment. For example, if there was an issue regarding your patient that would affect his ability for, for judgment, let's say, let's say Alzheimer's disease or trauma to the brain, well, number one, you have to notify your patient this is what you think is happening, get him the best medical care, get him the best treatment, but realizing that, gee, he is not fit for duty. It's, For example, it's like a pilot you would ground that pilot, you, you know, you're not fit to fly, the same as the President of the United States, if he had a disabling condition that would prevent him from executing his duties of office, then we were under obligation to make that known. Uh, our current president, for example, shortly after he took office, he required a colonoscopy. Now, what do we, happens to our patients when they have colonoscopy? You sedate them. Well, that's fine, but you know what do you tell them after their sedation? They shouldn't go back to work until the next morning because of the sedative. 
So in the case of President Bush, they were very wise. They met with his physician, the president, Dr. Richard Tubb, who actually was my successor and had been my deputy for five years at the White House. So Dr. Tubb, among all the presidential physicians, has been the most trained. He's the most trained of all presidential physicians. So he was very wise. He met with the legal counselor, and I'm sure he met with his patient to discuss the implications of the 25th Amendment, because knowing that the president was going to undergo anesthesia for his colonoscopy, they needed to institute the 25th Amendment. So for about a two- to three-hour period, Vice President Cheney had the powers of the presidency. He wasn't the president, but the powers of the presidency were in his hands while the president was under the influence of sedation. You're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I want to thank Dr. Connie Mariano, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing emergencies at 30,000 feet. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Krakowski. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.